Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. As always, delighted that you, wonderful listener, have decided to join us for our latest instalment on, I'm not sure it's quite the 100th episode, but it might be getting close to it. And that's becoming a bit of a running joke, actually, because I've been saying we're getting close to the 100th episode of the HR on the Offensive podcast for about three months. And everyone in the office constantly says, are you going to get around to that then? And yeah, so we are getting close to it. I think this might be number 98. But so we're going to get close to it. But I'm sure there'll be a bloopers reel when I get to 100. And my team will grab a whole load of messy intros and outros where I have not really succeeded in completing a full podcast without making a mistake. But I'm waffling and I don't want to waffle all day because we've got a really interesting podcast today. I'm going to bring in my partner in crime, somebody who's probably done about half of the HR on the offensive podcasts. So she's a bit of a veteran. Ems Leonis, you all right? I am. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Are you ready? 98. I'm waiting for 100. If I'm not on 100, oh dear. Yeah. No partner gonna, in crime no more. No, that's it. You're going to have a full tantrum on me, are you? <laughs> Enough of us chit-chatting amongst ourselves, though, because we're not the real reason, although we do like mm. to think it, but we're not the real reason that we've decided to do this podcast today, which is a really interesting one, focusing on employee experience. Really hot topic. We're talking about it a lot at Lace, and we wanted to get somebody on who's an expert in this space. And so we've got Toppy Siddiqui, who is from Raft Hines. Toppy, hello. How are you doing? Hi. And I also, by the way, expert, I would just say avid enthusiast. I hope never to become an expert and always to be on that journey of exploration and learning. I love that. I love that. Avid enthusiast. Always be learning. Always be learning. Mm -hmm. I love it. So we wanted to get you on today to have a chat because one of the things that we talked about, myself, yourself and my colleague, Romy Hobson, who sadly couldn't be with us today because she's in Barcelona at the time of uh, recording. So got absolutely no sympathy for her whatsoever for not being here. But when we spoke previously, we got onto the topic of just chatting about what is good employee experience. So I kind of want to talk around that kind of area because I think it might be a really, really interesting discussion point. But before we do that, let's do a bit of a creds check. Can you tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, yeah. what you do at Craft Hines and all that good stuff? Yeah, 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 sure thing. So my title at Craft Hines is our global head of employee digital experience. And people always ask me, Toppy, that sounds like really cool, but what does it actually mean? And the way I describe it is that I would call myself like a corporate doctor. I am not an official doctor, by the way. I am like trained in finance. I was an accountant. That's probably like the only qualification that I have or accreditation. I am not a doctor. If you're on a flight, please do not ask me. So I do not know how to help anyone. But I would say I would call myself like a corporate doctor as in patient comes into my office and patient might say, Toppy, look, my knee hurts. You need to operate. You need to amputate. And I'll say, mm. Okay. And as like a good doctor should, I'll watch, I'll listen. I'll maybe even listen for things that the patient says, maybe things that the patient doesn't say, language that the patient uses. I might ask them, if you can, tell me how long this has been hurting. And if you possibly can, maybe could you do three steps? And through that consultation, I might realize that actually, do you know what? It's not really like the knee, it's the placement of the foot. And if we correct the placement of the foot through physio, we might actually correct the knee. So patients came in saying, doctor, amputate or operate. And actually the solution, the remedy at the end is physiotherapy. And that's kind of like the practice that I apply in Kraft Times. You know, we have 40,000 employees split 
50-50 between our frontline workers, so people who work in our manufacturing space. Kraft Heinz is a CPG, as in we make products, beans, ketchup, mayonnaise. And then the other 50% of employees are our office workers, or sometimes we can call them like knowledge workers. But let's really think of people who are sat in our offices helping make decisions and helping maybe like analyze data. And I look at how our employees move through spaces. And I'm really intentional about calling it space rather than place, because if the pandemic has taught us anything, you can have a physical or a virtual space. You can have a space that has multi-use. Maybe you're working in your bedroom, maybe you're working at your dining table. You might even be working in a coffee shop. And then I look at how our employees interact with one another, like how they communicate internally, externally, how they work together to solve wicked problems with partners, maybe in the company or outside of the company or on an individual basis. And then I look at like the tools that our employees have to do their job and work effectively. And in all of that, I'm really like my goal, my aspiration is to help our employees live happier, healthier lives. It's to help our employees remove friction and create and remain in flow. I love the concept of flow. I think it's a hard state to find, but I really love it when people are just in the zone. I genuinely adore that. And that removal of yak work and increasing opportunities for people to remain in the flow is like my guiding principle for the work that I do. That's amazing. So I'm going to bring Ems in to ask the first question. Before we do that, you said you're like a corporate doctor. Does that mean you have terrible handwriting? No, would I say that? I think my handwriting is pretty, but I guess all doctors think that they have pretty handwriting. Actually, do you know what? Good question. That's a very good question. You don't want to see Chris's handwriting, that's for sure, anyway. <laughs> I had to get a slight dig in there. Outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I joke, I joke. So thinking about kind of the things that you've said there around how employees move through spaces, communicate tools employees use to do the job, I guess just for kind of context, you've been in your role a little while now, so kind of what's different now to when you started and also what does that really look like, I guess, we can start to dig into that a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah, in terms yeah. of digital experience. Yeah. First of all, what's different now than when I started? I used to think I need a strategy, I need a plan, and I need to execute that plan. It needs to be very well defined. And then I need to, only when it is well defined, will I communicate and will I begin that journey. And what I've realized is agility and agility in the sense of like proof of concept. So we have 40,000 people. Maybe I need to test with a population of a hundred and then I can scale it to a thousand and I can replicate that in different zones and across our different employee archetypes. And actually through doing all of that, you then change the way a company works. We did like one grand switch. I'm sure everybody went through this in the beginning of the pandemic where we had to move from being in person to having like a virtual way to connect. And we brought in Microsoft Teams. Prior to that, we were using Skype. That was a huge big bang. But what the team did is that we ran ethnographical research. We went out into our employee population and we observed how employees worked. And we listened to the words they use, the language they use to describe like success in their role or success in their function. We listened out for like the rituals and routines. And then we were able to really articulate and craft a message based on that. So probably what's changed now versus then is this idea of like iteration, like agility. I love agile methodology because it talks about ideating and iterating as you are moving forward. And, and that's been like one of the greatest successes because the world is dynamic and it changes, right? Even if you had like a garden and you just planted seeds, if you left that garden for six months or six weeks, it, it's a totally different landscape. And if the world evolves and grows in that way, then how much more do humans do? So that appreciation for this, I know we spoke about this earlier, but like the removal of the barrier between your professional and your personal life. I love that blurring of the lines. No, oh, it's fantastic. And something you've just sort of touched upon there is, I guess, con the concept of how you get feedback as well, which I'm personally very curious about. Because my sort of experience is from working with you know, other organisations, as much as also looking at our own employee experience internally at NACE, is you can go and ask lots of questions. Mm -hmm. Then you've got to act on it. But to your point, 
iterate. So how do you, I guess, create that culture and, and those continuous feedback loops? And what does that look like in terms of the mechanisms that maybe you use? Topic? Yeah, if I step back and I forget about like technological mechanisms and I try and just talk about like the principles. Yeah. yeah. We really wanted to kind of have an open door policy. So IT and not sat, let's say in a different room behind closed doors, but really employees, tell me how you feel in the moment. We have something called our collaboration space, a collaboration champions team space where anybody can join and anybody can raise any questions and IT are looking and we will answer and actually not just IT but employees themselves will rise up and answer questions for other employees and then we have like our typical like engagement service which are kind of like because they're like pillars you can say okay in the last 12 months in the last six months we can definitely see against like a set list or criteria of questions how we've performed over a defined period in time but really that ability to remove barriers and, and solicit feedback in the moment if I went to Starbucks, I'd say, and I travel through the rain and I get to Starbucks and someone says, how was your coffee? I might say the coffee was horrible, but it's not about the coffee being horrible. It might have been the experience before. And actually, if you ask me three weeks later on a sunny day, how was your coffee? I might say, oh, it was fantastic. And actually, maybe the coffee wasn't great. So I like that in moment, in time feedback. But I also appreciate sometimes you need to give people time to really think, digest and chew. And that's kind of why I like these periodic set in stone pillars of feedback that we, ca- we capture. And do you find, Toppy, that sort of think about your demographic, you know, you've got that 50-50 mix of frontline and then, you know, the knowledge workers or, or office-based workers. Do you find that you get the right level of contribution from the frontline on those kind of that team space with collaboration champions? Because sometimes that's the harder group to, yeah. to get the feedback yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, there are barriers to entry there. For sure, there's like technological barriers. So for example, all of our office worker populations have a dedicated device. Actually, that's not the case in the frontline worker space. So we have to kind of be a bit innovative in terms of how we collect feedback. Sometimes we use like kiosks or shared laptops, or we can even use like paper or, you know what they have in like airports. We've even been exploring like this in the moment, you just press, how do we get feedback that way? But you're right, like there are technological barriers to entry, which means something like Teams, where on a technical level, you kind of like need a account and it needs to be assigned to an individual user it doesn't necessarily work in that same way but then we're able to capture feedback in other ways and I will say like I tend to like to look at archetypes so rather than saying like your function or your location which by the way is important but let's also layer in the employee archetype so what is your appetite towards advancements or disruption because actually some of these archetypes they run through all of our different employee types This is really interesting. I was just listening to what you were saying there, but then also what you were talking about earlier about the kind of collaboration space and things like that. It sounds to me like Kraft Heinz is quite a, from a cultural perspective, quite a dynamic organisation. You're talking about the way that you can kind of embrace that ideation amongst the business. I don't know how well you can answer this, so feel free to say however you want to to, to phrase it, but I get that feeling that that's Kraft Heinz at the moment. Has it always been that case? Has that been an evolution as an organisation in terms of that collaboration, that creativity that exists, it sounds like, within the business? Or has the business had to grow into that? I would certainly say so, because Kraft's and Heinz, I'm sure for your listeners, you will have grown up with a lot of our products. I grew up with baked beans. I love baked beans. When I was back home, I made sure I ate beans every single day. I genuinely love like the taste. It's so nostalgic and it's super healthy. So you can think that it's been around for a long time. In fact, both companies, Crafts and Heinz, have been around for over 100 years. But 
Kraft Heinz as a new company, as a merged company, has actually only been around since 2017. So with that, it's like two families combining. You can imagine it takes time for the two families to combine, just as it would with any, let's imagine a relationship. If two people join together and they have prior families joining those together, even it just takes time for people to find their rhythm. But we've certainly grown into that. I think we've brought in a number of like absolutely phenomenal leaders. Our CEO, Miguel, he is fantastic. Kraft Heinz is owned by 3G Capital. He's from AB and Bev. And he is just such a phenomenal leader. He accepts what he knows and he accepts what he doesn't know. He's bold, he's audacious, and he just gets the fire going. And he has brought in absolutely phenomenal leaders. One, um, our chief learning and diversity and inclusion officer is a lady called Pame Bassi. And she is, honestly, I just think she's one of the best women, one of the best leaders I've ever, I do not work directly for her, but just being in her ambiance. She's brought in a culture of creativity and a culture of learning and a continual learning. This is why I said I never want to be an expert because I never want to be stale. I never want to be stagnant. I always want to be on this endeavor to understand and learn more. I want to be slow to form an opinion and quick to let go of my opinion. And Pame has done a fantastic job in like really embedding that into the roots and the core of the organization. Yeah, and just linked into that, just hearing the passion at which you speak, the way in which that culture then filters down into the experience that Mm. employees have is so important, isn't it? And that's kind of, I guess, I wanted to move us onto the top line of that podcast, who is responsible for that good employee experience. And I was just thinking as you were talking about the culture of the organisation about how, yes, it's at the top. Yes, it's actually on the shop floor almost. But if that kind of embracing of that dynamic culture exists, then it's going to have a knock-on positive effect from an EX perspective. Yeah. And I don't even think any one person owns it. I kind of feel like if it was a house, somebody buys the house and some like maybe not even really one person finances the building of the house, but you have someone who does your kitchen, someone who does the insulation, someone who does the electronics, someone who does the plumbing. And they would all say, I am responsible for this part of the house. This is my expertise. And I do this with pride. And that's really how I think Craft Times is. Like we are building houses, but it's not even like a house and it's done and we move on. I don't know what this continual house that we would be building would be, but everybody has their subject matter expertise. But at the same time, the plumber might say, oh, hang on, I'm right by the electrics. And while that might not be my subject matter expertise, I know if I let something leak, it's going to impact this person. So I know just about enough as I need to do, or I need to know to bleed into the person who I might impact. And that's kind of like when I think of the culture at Kraft Heinz, at least when it comes to employee experience, it's kind of the way I think about it. I really like that analogy. I'm just reflecting on some, sometimes I've seen challenges where people take their own little bit of a process and they optimize that and they do that brilliantly, but that's in a silo. Mm. So I guess it may be whether any you've got any insights, Tope, or lessons learned around how you create that holistic and one team feel. So for example, IT, working with HR, working with real estate, all as one team end to end for the experience. Yeah. I think in my own experience, I would say we are not perfect at it, but at least I believe we are on the way to be great. What I love about the way we work is that we kind of are quite a matrix organization. So we don't tend to sit in traditional functions. I am within the technology function. I attend our technology town halls. I join technology, let's say meetings. And there are times when I work very closely with my tech counterparts, but I also have my business stakeholders. I tend to work quite heavily with our head of facilities or even people in engagement. We tend to operate more so around like business objectives in this matrix style around like tribes and squads. I really love that. If you're familiar with like tribes and squads where people come together around business objectives and kind of like spin off once the project is finished and then form a new team. That's the way we work. And we actually do it quite well. We're set up really well to be able to do that effectively. And I think that's a really interesting sort of reflection for HR leaders and some of their teams may listen to this podcast because we want to be as an HR function much more 
business objective driven i.e aligning what we do to outcomes that the business is looking for and that's a great example to me that you've just used there choose the outcome bring the team together a multidisciplinary team to design around that versus the traditional approach of this is just my part of so i will deal with what i'm responsible for I think if I was listening to this, I would say, well, how? And I'm trying to think of how I've done it. So I think I mentioned earlier that I look after our ESG initiative. And if I didn't, part of employee experience is the IT ESG part. We have like a president of ESG, but I support around the IT side. And we're trying to understand like what is IT's role today and what's IT's role in the future around ESG? And we started by talking to the president. He said, oh, speak to this person. Then we spoke to this person. He said, oh, you know, let's pull this group and let's pull. People are just like that. Like you might say, yes, I need to be here. But you know what? There's somebody else who also needs to be involved in this as well. And we don't even say, hang on, that's not my job today. Like I'm not going to play. Like my boss needs stuff. We don't really work like that. People are curious. If you're invited to a meeting, you bring that curiosity and you establish if you're supposed to be there. And also you can say, you know what? We don't have FOMO. I might also not be the right person for this, but maybe this person is more effective. Yeah. That's a really, really interesting way of putting it. What I think is fascinating is this idea of this collaboration amongst the team's perspective. One of the things I wanted to touch on, which we talked about briefly when myself, yourself and Rome's had a chat, Toppy, weeks and weeks and weeks ago when we first talked about setting up this podcast, was I was talking about how we've started to see more and more like kind of individuals acting as employee experience specialists. I am an EX specialist or teams of EX specialists. And just hearing the way that you're talking about collaboration, I've just written down on my notepad here, like if you're creating these teams, is there a danger from a devil's advocate perspective I'm playing here? Is there a danger of a business having a perception of, well, this is their responsibility because they're the EX team. So their responsibility for facilitating it, managing, like what's your view from this little cottage industry that seems to have evolved, which is EX specialists? My experience today is that nobody thinks it's just one group's responsibility, which is a blessing and a curse because everybody kind of wants to be involved. But that's not a bad thing, right? It's a good question because in my history of Kraft Heinz today, I have never experienced anyone who says, and honestly, I've never actually had this experience when someone thinks, this isn't my job, this is the job of, like, ownership is one of our core values. In fact, to the degree of extreme ownership, there is not anybody who would say, this is not my job, this is this other person's job, or I'm just going to ignore. It just doesn't work like that. And I don't really know why. Maybe because ownership is so heavily ingrained into the culture that that's just like not how we work. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one, Chris. Yeah, just in general, how do you get that right? Yeah, It's interesting because like I said, we've, sorry, Ems, I'll let you ask the next question, but just for purposes of debate and I like interrupting people, my wife tells me I need to stop doing it, but I can't help myself. When I get excited about a topic, I'm like, oh, oh, can I, can I talk, can I talk? Yeah, I just find it fascinating because when I, again, I've been at Lace Partners for three years now, pre-pandemic, And when I first joined, we weren't really talking about EX specialists. And all of a sudden, we're now starting to hear and speak to EX specialists. It just popped into my head that is there a danger if if you're labeling somebody with you're the EX guy or you're the EX girl, then it's kind of like that's your responsibility. And I guess the question is a is a cultural thing more than anything else. Mm -hmm. As Toppy, you've just said within your business there's very much that, you know, we're all one big team here. We have a problem to solve, let's come together and do that. Rather than we have a problem to solve, let's bring in some specialised talent who Mm. will then manage 
that solution, if that makes sense. Mm. Am I making sense? Yeah, I mean, I do get calls into projects because I guess employee digital experience is like my job. And the, the reason I'm called into projects is, I guess, to make sure that this is aligned to the direction that we're taking employee experience. And does this person have access to tools and individuals that are related to the work that they do well? So in that angle, I hear what you're saying. But this goes back to the point that I made earlier, which is I am always so reluctant to be called an expert in anything because really I'm just, I spend, because it is my job, I spend more of my day in this space. So I have more data points, but I'm still, I haven't nailed it all. I don't actually think even an actual doctor may never say that they are an expert because I'm sure there's a patient who can come who has an expression of an illness that you probably know, but there's like 1% that you don't. And I think that like intellectual humility and intellectual curiosity is probably what will avoid people becoming stale and stagnant. Yeah, I fully agree with that, Toppy, because people's expectations constantly change. The external environment changes, business culture changes. So yeah, you've got to be curious, I think, in these types mm-hmm. of roles in particular and want to ask questions and, and do things differently and evolve. So just sort of moving on a little bit, thinking about some of the initiatives maybe that you've implemented recently, could be in the past six months, could be over the past couple of years, sort of at Kraft Heinz. What really stands out as we did a great job at that and this is why? I would say the teams integration, because we spent a lot of time really understanding how the business works, really like what are the rituals and routines, but not so that we don't do that in other projects. People were kind of like hungry and ready to change. We didn't have any of the barriers to change that you sometimes face where people are like, oh, you know, this works for me. Maybe there are some things that are annoying. There might be some bottlenecks in the process, but I've managed to work around them. Everybody was shook and the ground was like ripe for change. I'd say if it was clay, it was really soft. So we could just do whatever we wanted. And sometimes you approach activities where it's people are quite solid and you have to kind of like unfreeze them, change and then refreeze them. So probably the team's integration was one that it just was really nice because everybody was ready for a change. People were in change state already. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And to flip it though, I suppose sometimes it's even better to understand, gosh, what was your biggest lessons learned or what's your one watch out? Because in that particular scenario, which I guess was at time of, with the pandemic and having to move remote, everybody knew they had to adapt. Whereas sometimes you try and make change happen when actually people are like, do we really need to do this? So I'm just curious, you know, your global organization, really complex one, lots of, you know, diverse intricacies in that whole workforce mix. What are some of your biggest lessons learned or what would a watch out perhaps be for those listening? Really understanding your archetypes because your employees are more than just functions and like geographical locations. I love Jeffrey Moore's innovation adoption curve because he talks about these four archetypes. He says you've got like an enthusiast, you've got your early and your late majority, and then you have your laggards. And how we've interpreted that within Kraft Heinz is that we say you have like your enthusiasts, you have like your digital natives where something is native to them. Digital immigrants, they are moving to a new solution. And it's not that they can't, but it's certainly foreign. And then you have your traditionalists just because laggard was kind of a bit rude. But what they do is they don't like it doesn't discriminate based on like gender it doesn't discriminate based on age geographical location even function if you're frontline worker office worker but it says what is your attitude towards technological change and i think that's take out technological change or technological and just have change i think it's important to really look at the archetypes in that way and say our employees have attitudes and ways of changing that can be different and also by the way someone can be an enthusiast in one instance for example i like i'm enthusiastic about new developments in certain types of technology but if you try and ask me to use OneNote to like write in a diary on a computer I don't like that I like to make physical notes by hand like a pen and paper so in that case you would say Toppy is a laggard or a traditionalist so respecting the fact that based on the case your employee can change not that you do your archetypes and you say this is who they are forever so really understanding like that personification of employees I think is quite important 
And I really like that framing because there's clearly a maturity curve, I think, when it comes to personas or archetypes, different language, maybe meaning the same thing. But the nuance dependent on where you are in your journey of describing those is quite different Mm -hmm. because there are some organizations that will go down the role in geography based, as you've said, but that may be perpetuate silos, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Silo thinking. Layer that in. It's not to say neglect. Yeah, no, exactly. If you think about someone based in, we have like EMEA, like London versus like the Middle East versus like Germany versus like Spain. There are different cultural elements that you need to be mindful of. I'm not saying it's actually not, it's very important, but it's Mm. not the only thing. No, I agree with you. And I guess where I was sort of of reflecting as you were talking, Toffee, was ultimately with all types of change, be it you're changing the way technology is used or you're changing how someone interacts with their business partner, let's say in HR, it could be any different thing around the operating model. Mm -hmm. It's all around changing someone's behavior. And actually, therefore, thinking about their attitudes is a really nice way. So their attitudes, their motivations, their preferences, it's a great way of helping frame that change. But that for me is probably a shift for some organizations in how they interpret personas or archetypes today. I hear you. So I really like that. Oh, I wanted to sort of look forward a little bit now because I'm conscious that we're coming. I can't believe we've only got a few minutes left of this podcast, which is mental. I feel like I could, we could be talking to Toppy all day, but she's a busy woman and I'm sure she wants to get out into some of that Chicago heat at some stage. So I wanted to look forward and really get to you. We're talking at the moment with a lot of CPOs about what's their one big thing that they're focusing on in the next 12 to 24 months. I want to ask that question to you, actually, Toppy, if that's all right. What's the kind of big thing in the next 12 months, 18 months, 24 months that you're thinking this is the thing that we're going to, is going to be our big thing that we're going to focus mm-hmm. on for the next year, two years. And I like the question actually, because mainly because I was talking about it probably like an hour ago is ESG. So how do we make our ESG efforts within tech more than just a great movie? Like how do we really create that like paradigm shift in mentality? And I'm just so curious about that because ESG is more than your carbon emissions, right? It's, it's, basically how you like run your business in a more mindful way. And and right now I, I don't exactly know the expression of that, but I'm just curious. Like, How do we embrace it in a way that we stop saying ESG and it's just the way we do business? I really am so curious about that. And then the second one is around creating delightful experiences for our employees. So with everything I've even said, there's still a way for us to go when it comes to like our technological advancements around creating delightful experiences for employees. So really like embedding that into just the mentality. I, I don't want it to just be slogans and phrases, but doing that sincere shift in mindset so it's not like i eat healthy but i just eat this food and it is healthy nice nice well we are on time unfortunately we have to let toppy go and that's really sad because i wanted to turn this into about an hour-long podcast as we were talking (laughs) because it's really really nice talking with somebody who has such a passion about the well the work that you do but it sounds like it's not really work in terms of work it sounds like it's play for a lot of the uh the work that you do so that's fantastic to get that and it really comes across today in the podcast toppy thank you very much for joining us My pleasure. Thank you for having me, by the way. I've really, really enjoyed this. Well, I'm sure we're going to put the world to rights on more EX stuff (laughs) in the future. So we'll be dragging you out again, no doubt. Ems, thanks as always for joining me. Thanks, Chris, for having me on. Yep, it's been brilliant. You can, of course, find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can go to Lace Partners website. It's www.lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. If you've listened to the other 90 odd podcasts, you're probably bored of me saying it by now. But there are people that occasionally tune in for the first time and maybe look at the previous episode. So I always like to do this as a a sounding board at the end. But wherever you get your podcast, if you want to just shout at Alexa, HR on the offensive, you can do that as well. And she will play the latest edition, which, of course, will be this one focusing on who is responsible for good employee experience. I think we had our answer. Everybody. Everybody. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.